This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world-building warrior Angeline Trevina, planning and productivity powerhouse Holly Line, and formatting fireball Julia Scott. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business, and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey, and encourage you to be unstoppable. Welcome to episode 156 of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. Today I'm talking to Shane Miller all about plotting and structure. But first up, my personal update. Having now released How to Build a Culture, my latest world building guide, yay, I'm now full on prepping for my live launch event on Friday. I'm holding it at my local geek retreat branch, that's a gaming cafe, and I'm going to be showing people how to draw maps and giving away some goodie bags full of swag, which I've had done, which is super cool and very exciting. So yeah, everything's pretty full on right now. And as for writing any fiction, I honestly have not gotten the chance to get back to it, but soon. And I really, I am looking forward to writing fiction again. I just have to get a few live events out of the way and some ew, real life stuff. Ew. Um, question of the week. So last week, Julia asked you, are you happy with your writing and publishing process when it comes to software? And we actually got a lot of love for Dave Chesson and for Atticus. I'm also an Atticus user, although I am yet to complete my first book using it. So I haven't been through the entire process. What I do love about it is that it's a complete one-stop shop. There's no switching between programs for writing and formatting, and you can format ebook and paperback all in one place, in one go, because that's what used to really annoy me, that I was constantly switching between programs and doing this one little job in this program and this one job in another program. But Atticus solves that absolutely perfectly. You can do it all in one place. This week, what I want to know is, how do you make sure the opening of your book grabs your readers? No new patrons this week, but a huge thank you to all of our current patrons who sponsor this show. We appreciate the support so much. Patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive access to our off-air banter, and the chance to join in with our monthly sessions of Sprints and Giggles, an evening where we do writing sprints, answer questions and have a laugh. If you'd like to join in and also support the show, you can do so for £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And it would be really great if you could take a moment to share this episode on social media. Grab a screenshot, share it directly from your podcast platform or even take a selfie with it. Just remember to tag us so that we can share it too. It means so much to hear from our listeners and to know that you enjoy the show. So today I am talking to Shane Miller about his Write Better Fiction series of writing craft books. Shane is a Fictionary Certified Story Coach and besides his craft guides, he is also the author of the Myth and Magic Urban Fantasy Thriller series, which he writes as S.W. Miller. 
He holds a BA in journalism and is a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors. He has taken too many writing courses to count and enjoys reading as much as possible. And he admits to being obsessed with five things, the writing craft, mythology, personal development, food and martial arts movies. Hi, Shane. Thank you so much for joining me today. So first up, can you just introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? I can indeed. So like Angeline said, I'm Shane. Um, I got into writing back in 2010 when I wrote a vampire urban fantasy novel, which I think we're going to talk about in a minute. (laughs) I I did what 99% of writers do and I stuck it in a drawer while I fell into a quote unquote sensible corporate job that turned out not to be so sensible. Um, I found that manuscript back in 2018, skimmed it through, and it was terrible. I mean, seriously, it's one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever read and I will never allow it to see the light of day without a ton of editing anyway. Uh, I still wanted to be an author though, so I knew I had to do better. Over the next couple of years, I studied as many craft books as I could get my hands on, wrote a whole new series, and I've published the first four books in that series this year. It's my Myth and Magic Urban Fantasy series along with a series of craft guides for other writers. And that is pretty much me and how I got to where I am today. Yes, you've been super duper prolific (laughs) in the last few years. I have. It's crazy. I watch you releasing um, books like I just don't even know. So (laughs) I I am indeed going to make you tell us all about that vampire novel (laughs) from 2010. So what... (laughs) was the your actual approach to writing it and what went so wrong Mm, it was a bad approach uh, (laughs) (laughs) in that I didn't really have one so I had just read the first Harry Dresden novel by Jim Butcher and I thought oh I want to do that that's that's definitely what I want to do so I sat down and I just started writing I didn't actually know anything about character voice or story structure or setting or any of those things that you should probably know about before you start to write a novel. Uh, I literally thought to myself, I'm just going to sit, let the words spill out and become the next Jim Butcher. And we all know that's not going to happen in hindsight. And because I didn't know what I was doing, all my characters sounded the same. There was no plot. It was literally just a connection of kind of unconnected scenes that were progressively worse as the quote unquote story went on. And my settings were pretty two-dimensional. And as someone who is obsessed with world-building, Angeline, you know... That that would be upsetting. (laughs) Very upsetting. So there was no kind of sensory depth or filtering it through my protagonist's lens or anything like that. And, um, yeah, I remember thinking at the time that it was fantastic. You know, (laughs) we we all think it's great at the time. And um, I think that's the longest time I've let any manuscript rest and the distance definitely taught me that that wasn't the case so yeah the major mistake is that I didn't really know what I was doing and thought that I did (laughs) but how lucky that you let it rest (laughs) imagine if you'd just gone ahead (laughs) yeah no that would not have been good nobody needs to read that um I'm actually rewriting it now with the help of a fantastic book coach in the hope that I can salvage it because I hate the fact that it's just sat doing that yeah yeah I like that. I really do. Um, So after that first novel, you say that you spent a lot of time studying writing crafts. So what was the most important thing that you learned? What was the thing that really turned it all around for you? Yeah, so I think 
many many things but the thing that um, yeah. the thing that <laughs> the thing that stuck with me the most was when I learned what filtering was so for anyone who doesn't understand filtering or doesn't know what it is it's when you're using one of those five senses sight sound smell taste touch and you're putting that sensory word in a sentence so if you were filtering you might say I heard an owl who in the distance you're using the word here in the sentence if you remove that word, you get an owl hooted in the distance. And there are two advantages to this. The sentence feels tighter, for one. And removing that sensory word brings the reader closer to your character as if they're experiencing the owl hooting themselves. And that's really, I think that's something I didn't know when I first started writing, that the aim of the, the, aim of the book is, yes, to tell a good story, but it's also to connect the reader to the character. And one of the ways to do that is to filter everything related to setting or plot through your protagonist's unique lens. So yeah, that's that's really the biggest lesson that stuck with me. Something really simple, but uh, that will never leave me that one. No, that's that's really good. <laughs> I I recognise that from my early books where it's like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and uh, yeah, my my son has started writing, and I see oh, that nice. in what he's writing as well. <laughs> it's it's just then this it's it's like how you tell somebody what happened yesterday isn't yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely so yeah I definitely think that's a good lesson to learn so since that since you've done your studying and um you've you've learned lots about craft you have yeah. released several craft books yourself in your write better fiction series the first one being how to write brilliant beginnings. So why is the opening of a book so important to get right? Why was that the very first craft topic that you wanted to cover? So this was a really good question and it had me thinking. Um, I would say you need to get the opening right because the way people buy books has changed. So people can go now onto pretty much any of the online retailers. They can download a sample of your novel for free. And that's usually the first 10%, so basically the very beginning. And because there's no barrier to entry, you really need to hook the reader in as quickly as you can. So I know someone, for example, who only gives a sample three pages before they decide whether or not to, to carry on reading. So you really need to get in there quickly and hook their attention. And I think I wanted to cover this first because of that crappy uh, vampire book that I wrote. Because the, the thing... The thing I found when reading it was that I couldn't really even get past the first sentence, really, but to be charitable, the first few pages. So the beginning was non-existent. Nobody would have read past the first page, never mind the first chapter. And that's I think that's something with a lot of newer writers, because I do I edit for clients on the side as well. And that's something I see a lot. The beginning is either lackluster or just missing that something that's going to make the reader want to read on. And it's so important to get right, because if they never read past your first sentence or chapter, they're never going to finish your book or go on to the next one or become a fan of yours. So that's why I wanted to cover it first, I think, because it is so vital, especially in today's kind of e-reader age. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things about new and experienced, inexperienced writers is that they often start their stories too early. Mm. <laughs> and that that's definitely a big lesson I learned I actually come from a background of theatre and script writing and one of the lessons that absolutely sticks with me it's the sort of thing I'd like have printed out and put on my wall is 
get into the scene as late as possible and get out of it as early as possible. So you're cutting out all the extraneous parts at the beginning and end. And yeah, yeah, I think that is something with beginnings with inexperienced writers that they do often just start it too early. Definitely, I agree. I think, you know, we've all done it when we were inexperienced. That whole, (laughs) I woke up, I brushed my teeth, I I got dressed, I had breakfast. And you don't actually get to what, you know, the car crash or whatever until the middle of the scene. And that should really be where you're, you're stuck or at least fairly soon yeah so yeah I completely agree with you and the number of co- dialogue conversations I see that start <laughs> with oh hello how are you oh I'm yes. fine thank you are you like it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah, move on we don't need to know What's about the, the weather where this, they're yelling at each scene. other <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so in your next craft book which is how to plot your novel you lay out a system of nine story beats which you split into three acts so how did you put together this plotting structure I saw the pain in your face as you asked (laughs) (laughs) it did hurt a little bit (laughs) yes yes so basically I put it together through a lot of trial and error so like I said up top I studied a lot of craft books probably before I was ready to actually understand what they meant so things like the story grid save the cat Mm. all of those um structure books that are really complex actually if you if you try and sit in them and read them when you don't really know anything about writing so my my structure isn't really teaching anything new it's still based on that standard three act um, structure that's been around basically since the dawn of time but it is a mashup of everything that I've learned so what I found is that most craft books on structure are needlessly complicated so the terms used to describe the beats are um, wordy or, or you know the the concepts are quite abstract in that there's not really a ton of examples used so what I wanted to do with this book is take the basics of story structure and the beats that we all know like the inciting incident the midpoint and present them in a way that's easy to understand so for me that comes from using a ton of examples from a lot of genres to demonstrate how each beat works and how you can kind of replicate that in your own writing then I tend to end each chapter, which is one of the beats with questions you can answer along the way. So it's more of a practical guide to plotting so that by the end of the book, you'll have an outline ready to go rather than a bunch of kind of complex abstract ideas that you don't really know what to do with. So what we were laughing about was, of course, because we all know it's no secret that I am a total discovery writer, not not a plotter. (laughs) And yeah to to be honest nine beats set into three acts sounds quite complex to my discovery writing mind so is it a simple system to follow for beginners or for anyone who likes to wing it and will it work for any story in any genre yes so I intentionally because of the struggles that I had trying to get to grips with story structure when I first started taking writing seriously anyway was um made this process as simple as I possibly could because I am someone that resisted plotting for a long time because Mm. it seemed really complex. Um, Like I've said, some of the ideas are so abstract that you come away more confused than when you kind of sat down to read these plotting books. And I've kept the guide short on purpose because I didn't want there to be any padding, which some craft books are also guilty of. So what I really wanted to do is for writers to come out of this book, get the information they need to plot quickly and actually be able to 
follow a practical set of steps that would produce as basic or as detailed an outline as, as they need, really. And as for genre, I was so aware when I started writing that, you know, plotting books, they always tend to focus on your high action genres like thrillers or mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah and what I'd say about mine is the beats are the same and they do work for any genre because I know a ton of romance authors for example who just won't read plotting books because they're not really geared towards them and with that in mind I made sure to include plenty of examples from the lower action novels quote unquote like romance so the authors can see that it will work for them too so yes it's the short answer i think this plotting method will work for any genre and i've tried to make that as clear as possible yeah and of, of course i did notice in the in the introduction to your book you do do give a little nod to us discovery writers because I do. <laughs> discovery writing is a choice. We don't do it because we find plotting too complicated. <laughs> and just to put that out there, I'm not one of these people that think plotting is worthy or discovery yeah. writing is unworthy. It's ridiculous. Like it's just divisive. It's a needless debate. Um, and I say that because you either plot first, write, and then tighten it up, or you discovery write and then kind of build the structure in after you've done it so we're basically all doing the same thing it's just, just in a different order <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and us discovery writers do a lot of plotting in our heads you do yeah, yeah. and it's still valid <laughs> and I think the thing like plotters often say oh, I wrote my draft in you know a week and mm. but they will they'll forget the fact that they've spent you know three weeks before yeah. that <laughs> it's all the same like we even take the same amount of time there is no there's no plotting versus discovery writing. It's ridiculous. Oh, that's great. And Holly would be very excited to hear that little bit of conversation as well. <laughs> so um, I also want to talk about your book, How to Write Novels Fast, because this, this is generally quite high up there on author's wish list. The desire to be more productive, whether we are plotters or not. And this book covers mindset first. That's your first few chapters before you get anywhere close to talking about actual writing process. So what does make a successful mindset and why does it matter so much? Yeah, I think I'll answer that in reverse. So I'll start okay. with why it matters <laughs> so much. Um, so having the right mindset matters so much because we've all been in that position where we are glaring at the blinking cursor, straining to to write words that won't come and giving ourselves aneurysms and high blood pressure and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm not a massive fan of the, you sit your butt in the chair and do the words advice. Yes, you do eventually have to sit down and get words done. But if you're really not in the right frame of mind, it's just not going to happen. And it doesn't matter how long you sit there staring or berating yourself for being the worst writer in the history of writers because you can't actually write anything. So all you're going to do is stress yourself out. So that's, I think that's why it's really important to get your headspace right first and why I address that before actually looking at a process or anything. Um, in terms of what actually makes for a successful mindset, I break it down into three things. So the first is finding your why, which is the answer basically to the question why you want to write and what do you hope to accomplish with your words. And finding that why will motivate you when things get tough. And believe me, as Angeline knows as well, things will get tough at some point. Yeah. This, is not an easy, <laughs> this is not an easy thing to do. There are definitely easier ways to make money than this. Um, 
And for me, my why is to educate, inspire and entertain through writing. And that will be different for everyone. Once you know that, you'll know what your goal is and you'll be able to push through some of those, those hard parts of writing. The second part of a, a good writing mindset is discovering your what. And for me, that's what genre you want to write in. And I don't just mean genre in the base sense. You could want to write cross genre. That's absolutely fine as well. Don't get started on that debate. <laughs> um and what your definition of success is as an author mm. so it doesn't not everyone wants to do this full time if you want to just write a book say you've written a book or if you're pursuing literary awards rather than commercial success again this is your definition of success and then it's really to decide whether your chosen genre and your definition of success are compatible um so if you want to make loads of money i'm not saying literary fiction authors can't do this but you're more likely to do that with genre or commercial fiction. And then the third thing is discovering your who. So I would say you need to know whether you're doing a certain part of the writing process for you or for the reader. So if you're a writer who writes to market, for example, you'll probably be thinking about your reader at the very start of the process from your market research all the way through to editing and marketing. If you write the first draft for you and edit for you, you might not think about your reader until you're actually packaging and marketing your books. And again, either of those is, is a perfectly valid approach. It just really depends what your goal is. So they're the three things, the why, the what, and the who, that I think you probably need to at least have a decent idea of before you sit down to write, because then you're much less likely to get stuck if you know what your goals are as a writer. Yes, that, that sounds really super important I was nodding along <laughs> <laughs> nodding along and um yeah I love that we all have different motivations and goals it's yes. what makes the writing world such an interesting place to be and yeah no motivation no goal is more noble than any other definitely not yeah so if you could give us just one productivity tip I'm going to stick you to just one. <laughs> what would it be and why is it so important? Yeah, this question, I spent ages trying to come up with an answer because <laughs> it's just the one thing. I think my tip, as we've been talking about um, kind of following your own process and not, not, not believing that it's noble or worthy to follow a specific goal or cause, I think my one tip is to not force yourself to use a productivity hack you know won't work for you. And this will take some trial and error to figure out in terms of what does and doesn't work. But for example, if you're a writer who has a mental or physical health condition, there'll be days where you literally can't write. So the, the kind of productivity tip of set your daily word count and stick to that no matter what is not going to work for you. And I think the thing that happens then is you become despondent and think, oh, I'm not a real writer because I can't write every day. I don't write every day. So you don't necessarily have to. But the thing here is not to beat yourself up if you can't hit some kind of self-imposed daily productivity hack or if you have to take a break to take care of your health. Because at the end of the day, if we become unhealthy, if we burn out, we're not going to be able to write anyway. And I think related to that, remembering that writing fast is relative. We spend so long comparing ourselves to other writers and seeing word counts on social media and all that stuff and thinking, oh, I want to write as fast as them. And that just might not be possible. So if you're the writer out there now who's writing 500 words an hour and you manage to increase your output to, to um, say, a thousand words per hour, 
then that's fast for you. And that's absolutely okay. You don't have to read, you know, a book like 5,000 words per hour and think, right, that's what every writer does. That's what I'm aiming for, regardless of what's, what's going on in my life. So yeah, don't, don't follow productivity hacks just because everybody else is try and try a bit of trial and error and see what works for you. I, I absolutely love that you chose that because, oh my goodness, like I agree wholeheartedly. Um, at the very beginning of my writing career, I almost gave up completely because a very famous writer who I greatly admire said, you can only ever be a serious writer if you treat it like a day job and yeah. start writing at 9am in the morning and don't stop until 5pm. I think I know which famous writer you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> and it almost stopped me from writing altogether. And um, just imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, Just imagine that's... if I had let that stop me. And th- how and... many people actually do? You know, yeah. I, yeah. there must be writers out there. How many people read something and think, oh, that is the way it's done. That won't work for me. So I'm just not going to, I'll quit. You yeah. Know? And that's it's really sad. Scary. Yeah. 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 Really scary. The other, the other one that always used to make me laugh is the people who said, here's, here's the greatest productivity hack. Shut, <laughs> shut your office door and put a sign on it saying, Mummy's now working yeah. for two hours. Do not disturb unless the house is on fire. Because that's going to work. <laughs> yeah, that, that really works when you've got like a two-year-old child. You know, they totally come and read it and go, yeah. ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. even assuming that you have an office with a door on it. Quite. You know, a lot of people <laughs> are writing their novels on their kitchen table with their family buzzing around them or they're writing it on their sofa or they're writing in a coffee shop yeah it's like it I always say that any advice comes from a place of privilege even if it's really good advice even if it's well-meaning advice it still comes from a place of privilege so I'm yeah I'm really pleased that you chose that particular bit of advice as as your one thing because yeah yeah good I'm glad and you mentioned privilege there one of my other things is that we hear a lot about how writing decent books costs a load of money mm. and it doesn't have to you know there are ways to to barter for skill swaps for things if you can't afford a professional editor because it is really expensive you may be able to offer something to them in return instead of money that would um that you'd be able to exchange for their services yeah, so if but you're be, with be clean with it oh right? yes yeah don't yeah we're, don't, not, we're not advocating not, yeah <laughs> Not that type of service. So if you're really good with admin or something, you might be able to take some admin off their hands. And I don't, I really hate the, I'm not saying anyone says this overtly, but I really can't stand the kind of ingrained opinion that you have to be kind of semi socioeconomically set up to be able to make this work. I don't, I really don't think anybody's socioeconomic background should hold them back from writing. Mm. If you can get a cheaper edit and a cheaper cover to start with, use that. Then when you start earning some money from your books, invest in a better cover, you know, get it re-edited if you want to, if you're self-publishing, that's absolutely fine. But don't think that just because you're not as privileged as others in terms of finances, that this isn't something you can pursue. That's also a very sad thing that I've heard some writers say recently. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to continue with that because that, that is the hill I will die on. (laughs) And I've ranted before about like silencing working class voices. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've ranted before, but yes, 
absolutely. I started my book business. Um, my first book, I learned how to do everything myself. And I paid £30 for my brother to do the cover for me because he's a graphic yep. designer. Make friends with people like graphic designers. And although graphic designer is not a cover designer, no, I will, will say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my, my brother's a website designer. Um, my brother's a graphic designer and an illustrator and my husband did a cover design course <laughs> that's how you do it for cheap <laughs> that's one way to do it that all works too just train somebody else you know to do it for you there you go <laughs> yes um so on on that note before I do jump into a full political rant about this <laughs> I'm holding back I'm holding it in Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> can you tell our listeners where they can find you and all of your books online? I certainly can. So if you want to know more about me, you can head over to my website, which is swmiller.com. If you want to have a chat and reach out on social media, you can get me at swmillerauthor on Instagram or TikTok. And by the time this airs, my new podcast with my co-host Cassie Newell will be out that is the storytellers face-off podcast where we answer questions from writers each week and this series is based on the writer's mindset then you can find that at storytellersfaceoff.com awesome fantastic now i'll i'm going to admit something to you now shane because i i did tell <laughs> you a little lie um i told you that the would you rather question i was going to ask you would be easy and mm. just a bit of fun but actually I've come up with a really mean one. <laughs> okay, go for it. I am, I'm ready for this. So would you rather publish your infamous first novel as it is, so no, no editing on it at all, Whoa. or have someone make really, really bad film adaptations of your myth and magic series? No. <laughs> I told you it was horrible. No. No, no, no. <laughs> It is a toughie. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's fine. It's fine. This is a good one. It'll give it'll give listeners plenty to be entertained about. Um, so publish it as it is now, or bad mm. movie adaptation of my myth and magic series. Yeah. I think just based on the fact that there are so many horrendous movie adaptations and I wouldn't want to add to those movie adaptations and at the end of the day I could just not market the the crappy version of my, <laughs> <You> could, <laughs> you my, could my it fade into the yeah. oblivion of Amazon <laughs> I think that's what I do I would publish it as it is now and let it fade away and have a really really good movie adaptation that I could sell rights for and make a ton of money <laughs> that's, a, that's a good answer yeah I think I think I'd probably do the same like I I'm quite good at separating bad movie adaptations from books that I love but when it's your own <laughs> oh yeah no you wouldn't want to be associated so with that you don't want to be the author that's that movie the movie or the Netflix series or whatever completely bombs like that yeah that must be <laughs> terrible <laughs> Yes. So, yes, you can let a book fade into oblivion on Amazon quite easily, I think. Yes, you definitely can. Yes, I'm not sure what the stats are of how many new books are published on Amazon each day, but it is huge. It is huge. So, yes, I would I'd just let it fade and nobody would have to ever 
actually read it. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you very much for joining me and answering that incredibly would you rather incredibly horrible would you rather question and I um I understand if you never forgive me. <laughs> no, I forgive you, it's fine. <laughs> Just a reminder of our question of the week. How do you make sure the opening of your book grabs your readers? And remember that if you want to join us for sprints and giggles and get all of the other benefits, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And don't forget to share the podcast online and tag us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for unstoppable authors. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. Don't forget to visit our website to get the show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles at unstoppableauthors.com. And join our guild of unstoppable authors and you will not only hear from us every week, but you will also get a free digital copy of my book, 30 Days of World Building. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave a review.